On a personal note, uh, Perry was up talking about the Haiti trip, and I thought that was really cool, that Community of Grace is doing that. Uh, my family and I have a lot of good memories from serving here, worshiping here, uh, did some sports ministry, some confirmation, and yes, I did go on a couple mission trips with First Lutheran as a leader, and I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I've had to speak and serve here at Community of Grace. Want to welcome you today, those who are here today, and also those who are worshiping online. I want to talk to you today about being fully alive. One of my favorite quotes is from Irenaeus. He was a church father in the second century, and he said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. How about you? Are you fully alive? Do we even know what it means to be fully alive? Let me give you a couple things to start with. I think maybe we're fully alive when we are on purpose and on task. In other words, we know what we're about and we spend our time doing those things and fulfilling our purpose and our calling. We're on purpose and we're on task, but we're also wholehearted and single-minded. I spent a couple days in Chicago this week on business, and we had a number of speakers talk to us, and one of those speakers was a gentleman by the name of Mickey Straub. And Mickey told his story about how God had given him a dream trip of 50 state capitals in 50 days. And he said, you know, it took a while for that dream trip to actually happen. Here's what I think happened. He started telling his wife about how it would cost $20,000 and that he would be gone for seven weeks straight on this trip by himself. I think if his wife might have said, let me get this straight, 20 grand and you're gone for 50 days straight. Are you nuts? But over time, he wouldn't let the dream go. And he kept planning. He got the money together and he decided he had the time. So now before he took the trip, he set some goals for himself. First of all, he wanted to spend at least two hours in every state capital. He wanted to really experience what was there. He was a man of faith and a man who loved his country and so he said, when I'm at each state capital, I'm going to look for any sign of God and for any hints of freedom. And oh, by the way, he was a big fan of Abraham Lincoln, so we looked for Lincoln at each state capital as well. A third goal was that by the end of his trip, he wanted to be able to recite the Gettysburg Address. You see, he was starting his trip in Gettysburg, going around the East Coast, and then wrapping around to the West Coast. And the final goal was very important. He knew that the, the capitals on the East Coast were closer together, so he had to get, a, get to a lot of capitals early because the capitals late in the trip were farther apart. So he had to be ahead. 
It had to be 30 capitals in 20 days. It could never be 30 capitals in 40 days. And he took the trip, and it changed his life. And when I heard him speak this week, I knew that he was fully alive. I could tell by the passion in his voice and the twinkle in his eye. You see, just making the trip happen took a lot of planning and execution. And he learned a lot about success strategies. He even wrote a book about it. Mickey Straub had a story to tell. And he was laying down his life, telling it with all his heart. How about you? How about me? Has God given you a story to tell? And do we know what that story is? And can we tell it with all our might? Fully alive. As you know, we're in a, a series called When God Speaks on the Minor Prophets. And we're getting down to the end. I have a theory that nobody else wanted to preach about Zechariah. So Angie sent me an email, hey, you got Zechariah. I said, who? <laughs> and so I read Zechariah. And I studied Zechariah. And a week later, I still didn't know Jack about Zach. I wanted to write back to Angie and say, what else you got? You want me to preach about this? Are you nuts? But you know, there's a couple nuggets in Zechariah. Because the people that he was writing to and talking to, they were not fully alive. You see, on the back end of 70 years in foreign captivity, Serving foreign gods would water down your faith just a bit. And they were discouraged. And they know that God wanted them to rebuild the temple. And they had even spent 14 years trying to rebuild it. But they got tired. And they got discouraged. So early on in the book of Zechariah, we see God calling them back. Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. You see, they were half-hearted in their faith and obedience. Zechariah has another message for the people later in his book. You see, the people were without a king. And they were hopeless without a king. So Zechariah foretold the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the king. And he did a lot of things, Zechariah said, that a king would normally do. He was a righteous king. And he preached and taught peace to the nations. And he ruled over them. But interestingly, he did some not-so-kingly things in Zechariah's book. You see, this king, Zechariah was foretelling Palm Sunday. And this king didn't come on horses with chariots 
There was no throne. This king came sitting on a donkey. What? That doesn't sound very king-like. But God's not always easy to figure out. So for the rest of my time, we're going to talk about being fully alive by knowing this God and then by reflecting his glory, being his image bearers because we were created in his image. So in the Matthew text, we have Jesus inviting us to hang with him, inviting us to spend time with him. And he, he could, as the king, as Almighty God, capital A, capital G, say, worship me. But it's not like that at all. This is a gentle, lowly Jesus. And he doesn't shout to us. It's almost a whisper. Come, for I am lowly and gentle, and I will provide rest for your souls. So in this part of my sermon, here's what I'm looking at. I'm trying to unpack the infiniteness of God and unscrew the inscrutable because that's who God is. And guess what? I got five minutes. And Zachariah. Maybe you're thinking what Mickey's wife was thinking. Are you nuts? Let's give it a shot. It's a daunting task, but let's start with a simple foundation. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to the radio to one of my favorite radio preachers named Chip Ingram. I've listened to him. I've read his books for a long time. He's a younger guy. He's a sports guy. Younger guy like me, in other words. And you know what? Chip Ingram has been to Haiti just like I was. He was there a couple years after with the same group that I went to Haiti with in college, say, eight or ten years ago. Maybe 40. All right. But Chip on the radio program, was expounding about the nature and the character and the infinity of God. And he said, but you know what? It's not that hard. There's three things about this God that we can take to the bank. God is good. God is sovereign and in charge. And God is faithful. So let's start there. And on Zechariah's key, remember, he's the servant king. He's the king, capital K, servant, capital S, sitting on a donkey. He's a both and kind of God. He's not an either or. He's not one of the, he's both. He's both almighty creator, capital C, but he's also the human baby born in a barn in some unknown place called Bethlehem. This Jesus is son of man and son of God. Fully human, yet divine. 
He was the perfect mediator between God and men. He was both and. But you know, the hardest thing for me to understand, maybe it's hard for you, because remember we talked about this sovereign, in charge kind of God. And yet he allows unspeakable stuff to happen to us, his children. If we just took a short poll in this room about the pain and suffering that we have experienced in our lives, it would blow our minds. Yet this infinite, all-powerful God somehow allows it and uses it in his perfect timing, in his perfect way to accomplish his purposes. Yeah, I'll never get it either. Well, maybe if we look at a couple of Jesus' miracles, maybe that will help. How about this one? Remember when he stilled the storm? Do you remember what happened first? He was asleep in the back of the boat. All heck is going on around him. Lightning, thunder, rain. The disciples are terrified. And the very, very human, exhausted Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. He was tired from his ministry and he, his travels. Yet, when awakened, he stilled the storm. It was done in an eyelash. And everyone who was there said, whoa. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Yeah, he's a both and kind of God. So if it's a daunting task to unpack the infinite and unscrew the inscrutable, how about finding a human illustration about God? Take a stab at that. It's not very good, but it's the best I've got. I've been reading about a coach, arguably one of the most successful, famous coaches of all time named John Wooden. And if you don't know who he is, he was a coach, a basketball coach at UCLA in the 60s and 70s. And in the span of 12 years, he won 10 national championships, including seven in a row. I don't know much. But not many people are going to do that. So as you can imagine, everybody wants to talk to John. Coaches, high school coaches, college coaches, pro coaches. John, what's the secret sauce? John, how do you do it? Everybody wanted to know. Everybody wanted the secret sauce. A lot of demands on his time. He was a great man. He was a godly man. But he was a humble man. 
And maybe the most godlike thing that he ever did was spending time to help the people that wanted his help. And if you think about it, maybe you and I are most like God when we take the time, make the time for those in need around us. So the invitation to be fully alive comes from Jesus. Well, how do we get fully alive? How do we know this infinite God? That's not hard. God is a person. And the invitation is to spend time with Jesus. To hang with him. To have coffee with him. To let him feed us. Let him tell us who he is and what he wants for us. So being fully alive starts with knowing that God is in us and maybe we got to let him out. Starts with knowing him. So, what else do we got to know? If we go way back to our origins, mankind came around in Genesis 1 at the end. And God said, after creating everything else and calling it good, he said, let us make men and women in our image after our likeness for our glory. So whoever else we are, we are image bearers of the one true God. We know ourselves because we know the one who made us. And people who know us can know God through us. So if we think about image bearers, think about an angled mirror. So if you have a mirror just like in front of you, all you're going to see is you. But if you angle it, you're going to see a broader view of you and it's going to go up to reflect what's above. Is it possible that we could live our lives so fully alive in such a way that people could know God because they know us? After all, we're made in his image and we are his image bearers. Honestly, image bearing was a pretty crazy concept. It wasn't anything I'd ever thought about. I did some reading on it and a lady named Nancy Jamish wrote an article on it. And she says this. I can relate to it. She says, some days my life as an image bearer seems like a bad idea on God's part. I am preoccupied, self-centered, and oblivious to whatever doesn't directly affect my little world. But every once in a while, for a little bit, I get it, and I live it. I got a couple of my siblings here today. I am the youngest of seven. The three of us, if you took a picture of us, maybe you could tell. They're Lomans. They look alike. There's a resemblance there. We are image bearers as Lomans. 
but we're all part of the family of God created in his image to reflect his glory. A couple things about how we might do that. How can we be fully alive day to day? How about this? Wherever we are, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, let's be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Be fully present. Be fully attentive. If you're with someone else, give them your full attention. Wherever you are, be all there. And I'll be honest, this is a growing edge for me. I'm not always that good at this. Ask my wife. Maybe she'll say something like this. Let me get this straight, Keith. You're going to get up in front of people and preach about being fully attentive to people's needs. You, Mr. ADD. You going to preach that? I said, well, yeah, I, I was thinking about it. And she'll say, are you nuts? Wherever we are, be all there. And there's one more thing. Wherever you are, live your life with all your might. All your might. So take a little mental inventory on that thought. When's the last time you did anything with all your might? Well, let's see. For me, you know, I think I sleep with all my might. I'm pretty good there. You know, when it comes to eating chocolate, I think I can do that with all my might. But I think it stops about there. But if the glory of God is man fully alive, I think he wants us every day, in every way, to live our lives with all our might. I have a hero that I'm going to tell you about. One of my heroes is Tim Tebow. He's not the greatest player ever. He wasn't that much in the NFL. He's trying to make a comeback in baseball. But for my money, Tim Tebow has the boldest and most consistent Christian witness of any athlete I've ever known. I love Jordan Spieth. He's a great Christian witness and a top golfer. Steph Curry, top basketball player. Not afraid to call Jesus his Lord. I'll tell you a story about Tim Tebow. When he was 15, he went to a weekend men's retreat called the Burley Man Retreat. Not the girly man, Burley Man, with a B as in boy. And throughout the weekend, they had some male activities, shall we say like tug-of-war and wood-chopping, stuff like that, guy stuff. 
on Saturday night that weekend, they had a weightlifting contest. Curls. These are curls. 15-pound bar, two tens over here, two tens over here, 55 pounds total. Tim was probably the youngest guy at the retreat. Men there, college kids there. Tim is a ninth grader. But Tim is strong. He's farmer strong. And during his school career, 400 push-ups, 400 sit-ups every day. You think Tim was ready for the curl contest? Well, Tim didn't want to just show up. Tim needed to win it. He was in it to win it. So his plan was, I'll keep sneaking back in line, I'll go last, and then whatever number I got to get to, I will beat it, and I know I will be guaranteed to win. But there was one little problem. He couldn't quite go last. There was one other guy behind him. And there was no guarantee of victory. So Tim says to himself, I got to beat that guy. And the only way I can do it is put up a number so big that he won't be able to beat it. In fact, he won't even want to beat it. So Tim Tebow starts curling. The number when he started was 55. He does 50, 75, 100, plowing through as fast as he can. At 175 reps, he can't even feel his arms anymore. So what does he do? I can't even feel the pain. I'm going to keep going. 200, 250, Tim's still curling. He stops, lays the bar down at 315 reps. Remember, he had to beat 55. Do you think he won that day? Do you think the big burly man behind him put up 316? No chance. Of course he won. But I admire Tim because I don't know anybody that worked harder to develop himself than he did. And he left it all on the field. He lived his life with all his might. I want to be like that. Tim Tebow is fully alive. So that's where we're at this morning. We're talking about being fully alive and the fact is, the glory of God is you and I, fully alive. We couldn't have a higher purpose. We couldn't spend our time in any better way than glorifying our Father God by being fully alive. So we spend time with him. And we treasure and relish and get into every moment. And we're fully present in our lives. Lastly, we live our lives with all our might.
I want to close with a favorite song of mine that says it way better than I ever could. Give it a listen. We'll get there. Sometimes I think What will people say of me When I'm only just a memory When I'm home where my soul belongs Was I loved But no one else would show up was I Jesus to the least of us? Was my worship more than just a song? Lord